Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello and welcome, everybody. We're back at Life List, a birding podcast with a fresh episode here. And I am George Armistead, and I am here with both Alvaro Jaramillo and Molly Brown. Guys, what's going on? Hey, everybody. All doing well here. Yeah, a lot going on lately, right? Yeah. I think all of us have been busy in very different directions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're all scattered to the far corners of the earth of late. It feels like uh, mm-hmm. all sorts of great birding locations, a lot to update folks on. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, what's what's happening today, Molly Brown in West Virginia? Today, I am back home for the first time in a few weeks and checking out all the August wildflowers, actually. It's, I've been getting into them more and more, and I it just looks totally different than it did two weeks ago. So that's how I spent my morning, catching up on the, the flower updates here. <laughs> nice. I actually, I saw uh, Jimmy sent me a photo of your field of goldenrod, and I oh, felt yeah. uh, a little overwhelmed. I, I was like, you know, here we have planted, I think, like nine individual goldenrod plants in our yard here. And um, and and then I see that and I'm like, oh, man, like <laughs> I could have a fraction of that. It's really I, I imagine you will before too long. So, yeah, I think we'll get there, too. But, man, I was I told I wrote him back. I was like, that looks like a place where there's going to be some happy goldfinches in the near future. Yeah. We hope so. <laughs> you know that the goldenrod is the most talked about plant on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It comes up like every third, you know, goldenrods. You know? I know. And and like so many people really actually are trying to get rid of it. Here I am trying to propagate it. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> well, we we're are. not even into full goldenrod season yet. So I think it's, know, it's going to get worse pops, before yeah. it gets better. Yeah. Milkweed, the second most commonly talked about plant on this. Yeah, farm. we just put in some new ones here, man. Some new fresh <laughs> milkweed. We got three kinds of milkweed here going now. Three kinds. Yeah. All right. Is it common butterfly and swamp? Uh, the first two are correct. The third is maybe swamp, but it's world. Is, oh is, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. World, like W H O R L D E D. Uh huh. Um, so. Bright. Yes. How about nodding? Did you ever have nodding milkweed or is that like a Canadian? No, I don't even know that. Uh, okay. Yeah. That'd be a life. Canadian. <laughs> Maybe yeah, it's renamed. It Could be just the accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Alvaro, what's happening in Half Moon Bay? Well, I just flew in yesterday from Qatar. Uh, that was my, my sort of day stopover from South the South Africa birds and wine trip. That's right. And I found that all my tomatoes and vegetables are essentially like in desert conditions. So I had to like <laughs> quickly go out there and try to save these plants so I can have nice uh, homegrown tomatoes. But uh, I, I'm not critiquing my other family members who don't see. I was going to say that sounded like, you know, damning by omission there or something. It's, not, it's, you know, it's, not like, it's yeah. my thing. Right. So they're like, well, you're going to leave. Then you're this is what is going to happen. <laughs> Well, now you're going to find out if the family listens to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think we already know the answer to that one, Molly. Pretty safe like, there. Yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. So that's that's what's going on here. 
But tomatoes looking all right if, if they survive. Yeah, that's great. Our, our, ours are starting to pop. We got the, we got the little ones, the little like yellow orange ones. And man, we've been making some salads, some caprese sandwiches with them. Pretty tight, pretty nice. Yeah, we yeah. you know, we can only grow little tomatoes here on the coast cuz we don't have enough sunshine, believe it or not. <laughs> so <laughs> they're we have these and these little mid-sized ones called early girls and they're you know, there's San Francisco fog tomatoes. We have all these like fog-loving tomatoes that um, they're <laughs> all small. Sounds like you could grow some Kona coffee over there, maybe. You know? Yeah, maybe it's like you know, it's like cloud with <laughs> the fog. Yeah. yeah, it's like maybe I'm, I'm. You know, it's it is getting a little warmer. Like I'm like dreaming of having pomegranates and persimmons. You know, that might be uh, the thing that happens if if we have actual global warming hit here. You know. Wow, that's you're really, really. That's a very glasses half full uh, way to go there. I know, <laughs> but we'll see. Nice, nice. Well, what have you been up? Um, to? I was going to say there was among the various things uh, wanted to cover today. I did want to let you guys. Perhaps you already saw on uh, on social media, but one of the things I am celebrating. This week is that I got my 300th bird in the county slash city, the same boundaries of Philadelphia. Um, and there was only one other guy who's done it previously. My 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 mentor, Philly birding, Frank Winfelder, who actually passed away earlier this year. A great guy um, and, and taught us all a tremendous amount about birding the city. Uh, it was it was a thrill to. Uh, to, to hit that mark. Cause I've been eyeing it for a while. Um, and I know Frank would have been probably, he would have been even more excited for me than, uh, than I was. And some of my friends were really, really jazzed about it too. So yeah, it was a long time coming. My buddy, uh, Patrick McGill was at one of our local patches here and spotted not one, but three upland sandpipers, Bartramia longicauda. And, uh, I couldn't go that afternoon mm. when he found them, but I was, I just like crossed my fingers, you know, I was like, man, I really hope those things stick till tomorrow. And me and, uh, uh, my buddy Liam Hart, we shot out at dawn the next morning and they were actually surprisingly hard to find. We did find one, uh, and saw it well. And then we were in kind of a dicey spot for viewing, arguably not on you know, public property. Uh, and so then we scooted, uh, out of there and, and just tried to get in and out and, um, and saw it and, and, um, you know, with no, no muss, no fuss. And, um, those birds are actually still around. People are seeing them actually in the same spot. Wow. We are seeing them and, uh, coming actually from elsewhere outside the city. Cause up on Sandpiper has kind of become a rare bird of late, you know, it used to be much more regular breeder around here, a reg, you know, much more numerous migrant. And as kind of forest is regenerating and probably other factors going against them as well. Uh, and they're basically a curlew, right? I always feel like curlews struggle yeah. in this world, um, you know, and uh, their numbers are going down. So it's it's one of these birds I used to see a lot as a kid. And now they're kind of like a rare, scarce bird. So it was a thrill to get it. Really nice to see. It's kind of a cool coincidence that Bartramia is your 300 you know, it just isn't. I thought, I thought you Bartram, might spot that, Alvaro. I thought was yeah. the guy. Back, yeah, William uh, Bartram. Back in the day. 
Yeah, my other like one of my main patches for birding here in Philadelphia is Bartram's Garden, um, you know, which was the the I think it's the like the oldest private botanical garden or whatever in the country still. Um, and it's it's kind of the birthplace of American ornithology, depending on, you know, according to some, I should say. Um, but the, it's the Bartrams inspired Alexander Wilson. And I think Audubon w- worked some over you know, in the same area, but mostly Alexander Wilson, um, uh, Sandy Wilson, as I like to call him, good Philadelphian. Um, he, they, uh, yeah. So that, yeah, Bartramia is named after William Bartram and, uh, yeah. So it's, it is sort of a Philly connection bird for sure. It was meant to be. That's right. Meant to be number 300. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's cool. Congratulations. Now. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. Ask an uncomfortable question. Oh boy! Comfortable question here. Is any of those three hundred birds that is at all somewhat kind of questionable to you in your own mind? Yes, solid. I will answer a decided (laughs) affirmative on that front. Yes, there, there are. In fact, I will tell you there are two that I think, uh, in particular, stand to be questioned. Um, One of them, I feel. Pretty pretty good about counting. The other, I feel ninety plus percent okay about counting. Uh, one is monk parakeet. Um, yeah, monk parakeet. You know, it's kind of an established exotic elsewhere um, between us. And you know, it used to be a, there was a colony in Delaware. I don't think that's there anymore. You know, they're around New York, and certainly they used to be around the Chicago area, various places elsewhere. Um, so this bird was acting like a wild bird running around. I kind of presume it was one of these established exotics. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but I do feel pretty good that that's what it was. Uh, I mean, that it, it was obviously a monk parakeet, but whether, you know, it was sort of a, an escapee, I, I would say no. Having seen lots of them in Argentina, uh, where they're meant to be, uh, this bird was acting a wild bird. The other is Northern Bob White, which most people, you know, say now only occurs as um you know a reintroduced bird Mm -hmm. and it's funny to me because in pennsylvania it's basically only like nobody counts them anymore they say all of the all the ones you see here now are escapees reintroductions and i'm like okay yeah but it is a native species um and we've sort of gone that way with you know, like California condor, like, you know, now we mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, yeah, they're, it's a, it's a program, you know, they're, they were all captured. Now they're back. We count them. That's okay. And then, but then like with Bob White, right across the state, South Jersey, Northern Delaware, everybody counts them like, you know, they've always been there, but I bet you more than, you know, pretty much all the ones there are there because of reintroduction programs of so, some sort or another. So, so these like reintroduction programs are, are stocking programs for hunting. Well, there's both both happening, right? In Pennsylvania, I don't know that there's actually any ongoing reintroduction program. But where we are in Philly, we're close to areas where they have been doing that. But of course, there are stocked birds that are you know shoveled out of trucks or whatever for for game hunting. Um, so, but how how you would know necessarily would be you know tough well, to say. Do you count ringneck pheasant? Everybody else does. Yeah. So, and that's an that's an exotic. Same, and that's yeah. an exotic. I mean, you know? yeah, that's even lower. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I feel fine about both of those. I agree with you. So I, yeah. I thought you were going to say, "Oh, I once saw a poorly lit, 
you know, something or other. And I was sure it was a whatever, you know. No, all the other stuff on the list, actually, I like everything's solid. Yeah, I would say it's really solid. Um, There's one or two, like I would say Golden Winged Warbler. I haven't seen here since the 80s. And I don't actually remember the exact date, but I remember getting my lifer in, you know, 1984, 85 or whatever it was in Carpenter's Woods there. Uh, so I don't remember the exact date, but I did see one in Philadelphia. Uh, so anyway. So do you, Molly, do you think his birds are legit? Should he count them? <laughs> or should he <laughs> I don't know. Is there photographic tail? evidence the whole way back? Or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is definitely not. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I feel good about it. Okay, Alvaro. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think. I think you could say that any one of these lists that's a big, long list of some kind that somebody's, you know, year list uh, or whatever, there's always something that you could argue about, you know, whether it's even big year listers, you know, some become very public, right? Um, Or who knows? Um, I think it's just once you get that many species all put together in a certain structure you, there's going to be some yeah. things that are going to be a little like okay how do you assess questionable this? yeah it's yeah. and it's like it's it gets down to pretty subjective stuff a lot of the time um like i yeah. you know i do i think it is there are several folks in philadelphia counting the scaly breasted munias that nested by the airport uh which did not survive mm-hmm. the winter um and and i'm like to me that doesn't feel that, do, that feels less good I, I didn't actually even yeah. go and attempt to see them because I was like, I wouldn't feel good about counting those. So um, I think anyway. the shadiest of all birds that you can count to me is the, you know, red jungle fowl in Kauai. Oh, the yeah. Highlands, and you got to wait. Oh, yeah. You got to see the ones with the dark legs. Those are wild. <laughs> the yellow yeah, I ones forgot about are the dark legs. You're like, I, I, I'm kind of seeing both here in the same place. <laughs> like there's yellow leg yeah. ones and black leg ones. And you're telling me one of those isn't wild and one of those is, oh yeah. You know, it's yeah, like, like, like that's kind of shady. If we're counting those, why aren't we counting the Key West ones? You know, like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I know they originally did arrive from, you know, Polynesian introductions right. of the MOA, but there's been introductions of, other chickens there for like hundreds of years now. So it's like, uh, yeah, either just sort of say, oh yeah, they're all accountable or not. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But the yellow versus black legs, I never bought. Yeah. It's dicey. Bear parts. I don't know. No. <laughs> anyway. Oh yeah. Um, that was fun. But what I would like to know, Molly Brown, you just returned from the great state of Arizona. I would dare say the best state flag of any state in the country. Mm. Arizona. How was that? Tell us about that experience. Yeah. Well, I should back up and say I went to Arizona by way of Montana, by way of Dallas, actually. So Yeah, just a um, short skip and a jump, right? Yeah, which I, I have driven out to Arizona a few times before. Um but decided to make up for a trip that I didn't take to Montana this summer and took a one-way ticket to Kalispell that is a tiny airport. And I had a layover in Dallas overnight and caught up with a a non-birding friend in Dallas. And then uh, went up and met up with friends there and birded Glacier just for 24 hours or so. um, And then just took a few days to road trip clear down to Arizona, which was incredible. I really haven't spent much time in that 
part of the country at all. Um, hadn't been to Utah before. Stopped at Bryce Canyon, camped along the way, and just had an awesome time getting there. And then um, was there in Tucson for the uh, Southeast Arizona Birding Festival. We had a co-op booth there and a group of us had a house together. So we did field trips and and socials and ran the booth and tons of birding and hit all the highlights in Arizona. And it was well, wonderful. That's awesome. It was, it was you and Josh representing the birding co-op in, uh, right? You guys, yep. you guys had the booth together? Yep, me and Josh and Cedar Stanistreet from Vermont. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've heard my share of northern accents over the past week. <laughs> Almost Canadian there. Um, yeah, and then lots, there were, oh, 10 or 12 co-op members there and at the festival as well. So we met up for a, a lot of different things. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. What And where did you go? What did you see? Well, we hit the main spots. We uh, went to Box Canyon, Madera Canyon, Mount Lemon, a um, little bit of birding in Tucson. It's extremely green, um, very, very wet this year. I think the most I've seen it, and from the sounds of it, the most that, that most people had seen it. So the herbs were really good. We saw a lot of snakes. Um, oh, wow. Just Which not ones? even uh, a couple different rattlesnake species. Whoa. And I, I, as I said, I've really been broadening my horizons and wildflowers and trees and herps and everything so several lizard species um as well and just running into things when we weren't even really looking for them um one of the most fun nights we were sitting there as the the vendor hours were winding down and trying to decide if we would go out for a buff colored night jar and then just decided to just go in the moment and took off um because we also had a tip for ferruginous pygmy owls that were breeding there so we went out and, you know, did the whole, it, this wasn't clear down in the, uh, the gulch, but not too far outside of Tucson, took a gravel road for eight or 10 miles or something and had a pair of ferruginous hawks or ferruginous, uh, pygmy owls. And then it was, yeah, it was great. Um, two species of, uh, jackrabbit there and I'm going to couple other things that were super fun too. You guys get antelope, was, antelope jackrabbit? Yep. Mm. Yep. That's high. <laughs> so That's high on my want list for the mammals. Yeah. Yeah. We had them and it, it was awesome. They were, you know, just in the road because we were totally out in the middle of nowhere. Scaled quail along the road and other good mm. things. Um kangaroo rats. I uh, maybe oh, a dozen wow. kangaroo rats. It was fun. Um Jeez. we had the thermal scope and then we, we ended up we, we were driving out for the buff colored night jar and um couldn't drive the whole way. The road got too rough, so we walked a mile or so, and it was pitch black by then. So just took that out. Waited. We spent, I don't know, three hours out there. It was a really late night. We didn't sleep much. Um, didn't get the night jar, but had three species of owl there. And oh. um, yeah, and poor Wills, and just had a really fun time. And Was this California Gulch area? No, it was north of that. It was kind of halfway between Tucson and there. Um, okay. Buenos Aires, National Wildlife oh, Refuge. Right, we right. were kind of okay. in that area. Yeah, just right along the edge of the wildlife refuge, which I hadn't been to before. Pretty pretty desolate, you know? <laughs> um, isn't, isn't that yeah. where the, that Bob White, speaking of which, the really special all dark. Oh, the masked Bob White. Mask Bob White. I have no idea. I think that's where, yeah, that's where they were working on was that refuge, right? But it's like super, super rare, like reintroductions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a huge place, right? Refuge is like an enormous 
it's it's a region. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's and it's, you cool. know, it's hard to tell if you're in the refuge or not or any of that. We crossed several border crossings and kind of washed out roads and all of that. Not border crossings, but border patrol stations. I was going to say, we're yeah. rolling around we, out we, there. We night. weren't hopping it, the border too much. <laughs> yeah, you can run into some border control while you're out there. Uh, border patrol yeah, folks. there were a few. Yeah. There were helicopters around too. And there was kind of a, a stream of birders. We were the last group to go out that that walked that last mile. Um, I, they must see a lot of birders with flashlights yeah. very obviously walking through that stretch <laughs> this time yeah. of year. They didn't seem to care too much. Nice. Oh, yeah. that sounds so great. The herps, I mean, the birding is phenomenal yeah. out there. I mean, yeah, yeah. but uh, the herps are kind of the thing I feel pulling me to go back. And I, yeah. you know, I, still, I still haven't seen a mountain lion either. So that's also like, it's such a good area for him. Not easy still, but, you know, such a good area for him. Yeah, yeah. Josh took off and went to the Chiricahuas after I left, but mm-hmm. you can go out and combine it with that. And it's a nice trip. I, I never get tired of it. Yeah. What are the thermal scopes like in field use? Like, are they, you like it? Like, is it useful? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, it's, it's a lot different than using binoculars. So I have the, uh, Pulsar Axiom, which I think is one of the, the most common kind of first round of ones to come out. George used it. We all used it in Uganda. Yeah. We Um, spotted our our leopard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you, you spotted the leopard. You're like, oh my god, it's a leopard. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's quite a way to break it in. It's a little different if you're looking at uh, like an elf owl <laughs> and a right. leopard through that thing. <laughs> but they're they're absolutely phenomenal for finding things. And then mm-hmm. you need you need a way to see them. You can see like a perfect outline. And it was really interesting to see it in the desert too, because of course it's hot and you're kind of waiting for things to cool off so you can start differentiating what is mammal and what's not doesn't work for herbs <laughs> um but then it's just like a, a perfect shape um mm. that you can see that's just bright white so i'm just kind of looking through like all the different shades of, of gray i use it in like basically the black and white mode and you see the trees and the rock and cacti and everything and then there's just a perfect beam which could have been a sleeping songbird in that case but it was an elf owl um and you can just see mice and all these other things um and then it's best to put a light on them or something to actually find them but it, it's pretty cool uh it's it's a really fun tool to have i bet in the wow. desert too it's especially great because everything cools down so quick and then just you kind of left with the warm bodied stuff that i bet it really pops there yeah yeah it's so open we were kind of in a um in a a, a gulch i guess not the california gulch but it was that kind of situation where you could just see up the hillsides and i thought i'm gonna see a bear or something moving along here or bobcat or coyote and i mean you you can see a long ways and yeah once you kind of get a hang for it and you can see things you know in the sky you can see nighthawks and bats and night jars and and those types of things too super well it's cool yeah it's it's high on my must acquire soon uh gear items list i'm like i just i've been wanting to get one for a while they're they're you know they're not the least expensive item out there they uh no they're not they cost a fair piece but i you know for finding some things they're just real good and uh yeah yeah, but what these guys are doing at cape may um you know with the bird migration at night stuff is pretty crazy too but they're just some of the stuff they're seeing and able to photograph 
you know, by, by putting a light on them after they detect them with the thermal uh, is really fascinating. Fascinating yeah. stuff. Wow. It is. That appeals to me, having this yeah. night vision. That's cool. Yeah. There are so many that are coming out. I'm seeing more and more each time, and a lot of them have photography equipment built in or, you know, camera equipment. I haven't worked out how you really use that in a, a group setting. It's hard to kind of share, and then, you know, you can't explain where something is if it's pitch black, and you can see the perfect outline of a, a raccoon or something, and nobody else can. So uh, that, yeah. that takes some practice, but... It's, it's good for good detection. Yeah, mm-hmm. for, for the time, I'd say at this point, it's good for detection. And then you can try to light something up for every, everyone else to see it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I actually was, the first time I used them, you know, I was using one of the Pulsars. It was one of the top models. I forget what it's called. And I was actually, not to sound like a, uh, I don't know, a Debbie Downer or what have you, but uh, I was like, I was kind of expecting it to be like binocular vision you know, and, and yeah. I forget what the power, the magnification is on these. It's like six power or something like that, or I forget. I think mine goes two to ten. I always okay. use it at two. It's, it's okay. not more zooming in. Right, exactly. Like you, and and it's great for detection, but oft, a lot of times you can't necessarily tell what you're looking at exactly. Actually, one of the first times I used one was with uh, Adam Riley in South Africa, and all of a sudden we like wheeled around a corner and I saw there was a giraffe. <laughs> so like <laughs> the first thing I see is this, like, you know, there, there was really no question what that was. Um, but a lot of the time it's not so obvious as say a giraffe, uh, you're looking mm-hmm. at a little ball of, of something and you're like, what is this? What's it going to be? And, you know, sometimes you can't, even with, once you get a light, sometimes it can be tough to tell. Yeah. Um, so folks, if you're thinking about getting one, you shouldn't expect it to necessarily be like your binoculars or even looking through your camera. Uh, it is really good for detection, but um, it's it's not always sort of a great actual for viewing. Um, yeah, takes some practice. It it gives me a headache to use it. For very <laughs> yeah, long. for too long. You know, like it, yeah. there's not it's not very comfortable to use. There's a lot of light coming in too. It kind of floods your eyes with the light. Well, right. Yeah, yeah. Generally in the dark. Although I have yeah. used it in other conditions. Um, when I was in the the Osa Peninsula earlier this year, I used it to find a mangrove hummingbird that we could wow. hear singing. And it was just in super thick vegetation and it was kind of up a big bank. And it, it the temperature was even enough in the understory that we were able to find a, a hummingbird sitting. <laughs> so you, awesome. I, I'm kind of working out, you know, the, the use cases for it. But yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. The, the thought of finding like... Um, rails or sleeping Mm -hmm. night jars or Mm -hmm. um you know rare snipe on an andean paramo that all is sort of i think within high possibilities yeah Yeah. totally opens a lot of doors yeah yeah oh god another bit of technology that's gonna change the way we do things kind of cool see how yeah we uh how creative we can become with this Look forward to seeing my first one one day. I yeah. still haven't touched one. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's coming away your way soon. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And Al, you have just returned from South Africa, right? Yeah. And via Qatar? Like, did yeah. you, weren't you going to do like a day of birding in Qatar? Yeah, I did a day of birding. I rented a car and, you know, just went off. Basically, you know, it's like a small country, but I think I did like 500 kilometers in one day. 
It's just sort of crazy. It's like, this looks like a good place. Let's go over there. Let's go over there. Let's go over there. And just like did. So no local help or like, did you, were there like some e-word hotspots you could, you could check track down or. No local help. I just, I just went. Yeah. E-bird spots, things that looked interesting and, you know, um, and on, on my way back to returning the car, I saw the, the huge, um, stadium like there's multiple stadiums that they built for the world cup but there's this huge i think it's called khalifa stadium which got this huge like tower that's like 10 stories high but it's the entire tower is a lightable billboard and i was just sort of like oh my god there's so much money flowing to this place yeah, you know, it's nuts. just crazy six lane highways and just odd stuff you know um hmm. It's a it's a real place of contrast. Also, for me as a birder, Qatar was like a little troubling in that I never knew. Like there'd be these roads and dirt roads and you could have access to the beach, but then there'd be these signs like this, you know, this is a um, oil, blah, blah, blah. Do not enter, do not photograph, do not whatever. You know, then there's like a sign like 10 feet behind that says welcome to the beach and i'm just like i don't know what's allowed here you know like i really have no idea so you know one of these places was this great turn watching spot and i'm just like you know what i better just get out of here i don't not trusting myself in this place you know there's an a thing of like you're supposed to know what is okay but you really don't you know mm-hmm. and uh i could see birders sort of getting into trouble from from just that that lack of clarity of what is actually open property because the roads are not closed or anything. They're just open. Um, so, so you just don't know, like there's even off, you know, you know, you're on the highway and you're going off to a town and it sort of says you need, you know, paperwork to basically enter this town. I'm just like, seriously, you know, it's like an entire town owned by the oil company and you just can't even go in there. It's sort of um, interesting. Uh, so that was fun, but yeah, South Africa was the main part of the trip, and that was fantastic. Food, wine, birds, mammals, mm. walking with pangolin. That was cool. Oh, wow. Pangolin reintroduction program. So, Yeah, how, how did that come about? So we were told, you know, when this place, Magnoni, that there, there are people doing reintroduction of pangolin, of any pangolins that are um, caught from poachers, you know, who are going to sell them, then they take them to these uh, sort of rehab hospitals and they make sure they're fine. And then they start getting them to go out like supervised because they don't run that fast. So, so they're basically a biologist walks with the pangolin for hours, making sure that the pangolin eats and learns how to eat and gains weight because they can't release them until they're big enough to, be truly indestructible. You know, like if they're little, a lion can still eat them or, you know, or a big, big predator. But once they're big, they, they become essentially untouchable other than by poachers. So the whole idea is like they do months of, of allowing the pangolin to run around, feed and gain weight. And then they invite, so the local birders and tourists are in this preserve, this, uh, you know, private preserve to you know you to fund the project and also to to watch and hang out with the pangolin it's pretty cool like to watch them you know like they with their 
little arms, they like, you know, take a rock over and move the rock. And then all these ant or the ant larvae are there. So they just start licking up the ant larvae and like, and then they move to the next one, dig things up. And the weirdest thing was that they, they walk like a dinosaur. Like they, they actually don't walk on four legs. They walk on their hind legs and their front too. They lift up. So they're kind of shuttling along and you realize that they're kind of like they're bipedal, you know, which is the most odd hmm. thing. It's like a little seen. mini T-Rex, like a little mini yeah. T-Rex running around. Yeah. yeah. And they have a tiny, tiny head, like just crazy small head for this kind of big creature. It was just fantastic. And the, the coolest thing is out of all our, our participants, there were, there were a couple, maybe a, a few more that had never actually even heard of a pangolin. <laughs> like, oh, wow. You know, which yeah. is it's definitely off people's radar. It's right. yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you've never known what this thing looks like or does, and then suddenly you're like, here's the pangolin. And they're like, what <laughs> the hell is that? You know, like, right. I thought you like, said like penguin. A, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's like, it's like a like circus a with an act. Nose, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was the best. Just pe- some people who are like on the other extreme, like I've always wanted to see a pangolin. I, I know it's not hundred percent wild, but it will be. And you know, this is great to like, what is that thing? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I you know, and you were saying it's like a like a dinosaur, which is it totally triggered. I, I've never seen a pangolin. I'm like dying to see one. It's you yeah. know, and there there is people you know you kind of alluded to they're super pursued, super endangered, and and they're they're in they're in bad shape a lot of places because they're they're hunted and all that. And uh, and and but one of the things I remember a friend of mine in India, uh, he's he 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 runs tours in India, and he was he was he was like, you know, kind of at his house, just hanging out. And one of the guys knew, you know, that he was like a wildlife expert. And this guy comes in and like busts open his door. And he's like, he's like, you got to get out of here right now. There's a baby dinosaur here, a baby <laughs> dinosaur. And, and he's just like, at first he's like, couldn't figure out. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh my God, he's got a pangolin. Like it's gotta be, you know, baby dinosaur. It's gotta be a pangolin, you know? <laughs> yeah. But the guy, he said this, this like, you know, local farmer guy was like, I got a baby pangolin here or a baby dinosaur, you know? And, have, uh, have you seen that video of the, the fishermen in out in Massachusetts that see the Mola Mola, the ocean sunfish, and they think it's a baby whale. <laughs> I, I, I will have to send that to you because it is funny. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think that, it's a they are whale. funny looking like, critters. We should, yeah, yeah. We should catch it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of a strong language in that video. I'll tell you. But I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I also think it's kind of beautiful in a way. I mean, if, if not, I mean, not really, but that, you know, one of the rumored ways that COVID began was perhaps from black market trading of, of, of like pangolin meat. And wouldn't it be like sort of just, uh, you know, desserts if, if the pangolin got back at what the humans, human beings have done to it all these years by, yeah. Um, of course, nobody knows how it really started, but um, yeah, Appar- apparently bats are the like still right. the genetic um, info is that they came from a bat from bats. Version. Yeah, that's yeah. The early reports I think were that pangolin might have been involved, but yeah, it's since hurt bats as well. And who knows? It might have hopped from one to the other in some odd way because it has to hop eventually. Yeah. But wow, yeah. that's amazing. I mean. 
gained a lot of pounds. Um, South Africa, you know, you you eat well. You're drinking some top wines, you know, with expertise from you know Keith Valentine, who is our our local guide from Rock Jumper. It's just a wine. He's like he really knows wine expert. You know, yeah. Keith so knows his wine. But he knows his wine. So we we yeah. were tasting some of the best of the best. And yeah, he's legit on that front. Food. Yeah. And and you don't, you know, and in the safari trips, you don't move around that much or in this vehicle. So <laughs> I gotta say that I need to like run around the uh you know <laughs> the environs of my house now to like <laughs> lose a few pounds. Cause uh, No, you weren't taking a jog with the lions and the cheetahs out there, huh? No, I mean I must admit that would be, you know, it would help you run faster, but I'm not sure that the long-term, <laughs> you know, weight loss strategy there, uh, you know, going out outside of the compound to get chased by yeah. a lion was. Uh, well, you could, you could lose weight. It just might be all of it. Yeah. Short-term yeah, weight yeah, loss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it It's so amazing. Like the birds are great. And, you know, I actually saw my most wanted birds for this, trip, mm. but seeing those mammals, um, you know, a cheetah walking around at night, you know, you see its mm-hmm. eyes and then it comes through and you're like, oh my God, there's a cheetah, you know, and everybody come, becomes silent or elephants crunching on things and being kind of just, you know, elephants. I mean, the weirdest things happen that just are impressive, like with this big male elephant eating and it suddenly decides to pee. <laughs> the amount of liquid. I mean, I'm just thinking, it's like, oh my God, you're like, that's a lot of liquid. And you realize like, then you start thinking like, I wonder if I, how much a blue whale pees in one go. I mean, <laughs> it's all biology, but it's just outstandingly impressive when you see these things that you just don't, you just see an animal going about its own thing. And you're like, you're asking wow. the right questions, Alvaro, as usual, asking the right questions. I know. I mean, the, and, and as always the most, the animal that the mammal that really, really gets you is giraffe. I don't know what it is about giraffe, but you're like, look at that thing. You know, they can't believe it's, it's alive, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. More so than a lot of the other cool critters, you know? Absolutely. It's, giraffe. I remember on our Uganda trip, Molly, like yeah. the first night, this dusk evening where we had these, these young giraffe, like, I don't know how old they were, but they were, they were still pretty small and obviously mm-hmm. young. And it was kind of this beautiful um, sunset, the light behind us. And they just, you know, they're wandering right up to us and kind of checking us out. And everybody, I mean, you could have dropped a pin. Peter Burke was there. And like, and Catherine Hamilton was overwhelmed. I mean, by, by it all. all of us were. Um, but yeah, I think it's always surprising how amazing those animals are, giraffes. They really are mm-hmm. something else. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. No, it was it was super. Um, and my most wanted bird is probably one that you would guess, George, since you've been there. And you, oh, uh, I think I, I think I know the answer. Yes, the Pelagic. Procellaria. Procellaria. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember what the whatever it is. Perspicillata, is it? Yeah, perspicillata, right? Perspicillata. Right. Spectacle petrol was the Yes. It's the weird, like, you know, it's this is sort of like, you know, you're not choosing the cheddar cheese as your favorite cheese, but you're going to some kind of like some obscure weird cheese, obscure thing. But it's very obscure bird that 
um, is very rare and it's been increasing in numbers and it breeds out in the Tristan de Cunha kind of group of smack. islands out there. Yeah. Smack and, out in the uh, middle of the South Atlantic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, there's no good place to see it other than to take a, a trip way out there to these islands other than Cape Town Pelagic where it shows up more, more and more now, you know, and uh, it's like a white chin petrel with a big circle, white circle around its eyes, you know, kind of looks like big white goggles. Yeah, it almost looks like that dog on the Little Rascals. You know what I mean? Like had the little <laughs> circle around the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, uh, in any case, uh, we were going on these sort of speed boats, right? Like not the classic, oh really, logic boats. Yeah, not big. You know, so you're kind of going out there, and there's this big flock of sitting petrels, white chins. You know, and we're going top speed, and I just saw it like out of the corner of my eye. It's like there it is. You know, like it's like. Put up, puts on the brakes, and I could, and and uh, you know, by that point, I mean we've lost the birds, and and I just knew I'd seen it, and we just started looking, and it flew by at that point, and we're like, oh my god, oh wow, and we found it on the water <sighs> again, and then actually found a different one later on. It was really good pelagic, with also another one that I hadn't seen before. The Atlantic yellow-nosed albatross showed up. So nice, but that's a good-looking bird. Yeah, and I was super like happy to have like sort of self-spotted these birds that I wanted to see, you know, because I was just so amped up on it, you know. Just, so it was like kind of I was like had that special like I'm so focused on trying to find these things because I have this one shot, you know. And so it was really gratifying. Nice photographs, good views, and great pelagic overall. Was Which that different? That was out of Cape Town. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The boats, they don't have, like, you could imagine a fantastic pelagic with a little bigger boats, more stability, but it's just, it is what is there, you know? I mean, I, hmm. but yeah, uh, yeah, that was, that was one of them. The other one was up in the Sani Pass. I had always wanted to see a Lammergeier. Yes. And guess what? You know, showed up and there was a nest. We got to go oh, see man. a Lammergeier nest. So bearded vulture, which is what other folks know it as so i was so happy with the food the, the mammals the wine and my two most wanted birds on the trip some high quality there high yeah. quality lamborghini spectacle petrol man yeah it was super so can't wait to go back maybe in a couple of years everybody let me know if you want to go <laughs> so, yeah no it's a great it's a, one it's really a great place yeah George, what are you been yes. up to? Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I got back from a trip as well. Did a Hill Star Nature trip to Columbia, tour that I call the the high times in the Cordillera Central, Central Andes. And um, yeah, it went great. Went really great. Um, you know, it's, it is a high times uh, because I call it high times because we are at elevation much of the time. Um, pretty high up there, uh, kind of between eight and 11,000 feet. A lot of the time, sometimes we get up to 13,000 feet. And at one point we get all the way down to like 4,000 feet and it's, you know, it's pretty hot down there, but most of the time it's up kind of humid, wet, chilly. Um, but it's so changeable, you know, the cloud forest climate there, the weather is just so changeable. It's sort of four seasons in a day, a lot of the time. And, um, 
But yeah, you know, we were really focused on ant pittas. We were focused on hummingbirds. Um, and it went really nice. You know, we were based around in, in Manisales. The one thing that was tough was one of the birds, like kind of you had your targets um, mm-hmm. for um, like Lammergeier and, and Spectacled Petrel for you, Alvaro. For me on this trip, one that I have been wanting to connect with for a long time was crescent-faced ant pitta, which mm-hmm. is one of these little ant pittas, you know, the Gralariculas. They're, they're, to me, like seeing all the Gralariculas would be just awesome. Uh, and this is one I've been like, I'm like, I, I still remember, I used to work for Robert Ridgely way back when. And I remember the first time he saw one, how excited he was when he came back from that trip. And I, I remember looking up that bird because I'd never heard of it at that point. But man, I want to see that thing at some point. You know, and that was back in like 2000. So it was a long time ago. And of course, now like, they're feeding them. It's like the most ornate one of them all, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Of the Growlericulus. It's really handsome. Um, but the spot we went where they've been feeding it, uh, by the time we got there, it hadn't been seen in eight days. And um, it sounds like the it might have there might have been some territory rearrangement um where basically another pair of ant pittas equatorial ant pittas they think that something happened maybe one of the pair got picked off and they kind of moved and since then the crescent-faced ant pittas are gone and they think because there's now an equatorial ant pitta hanging out where it used to be um but they neither one were were really coming in there, so that was kind of tough to swallow because we really wanted those. But to be honest, it really, um, you know that that was that was a blip on the trip, but it it was not that big a deal because we just saw so much other stuff, and we did have a bunch of ant pittas come in. We had beautiful bicolored ant pitta. We had beautiful slate uh, crowned ant pittas coming in. Um, Got really nice images of each of those. We had a bonus scaled ant pitta. We were not expecting that at all and uh, had that kind of come out of nowhere. And the other thing that was like pretty brilliant and was probably the highlight of the trip for me. uh, I mean, the photo ops are out of this world, um, but the and and like the mountain toucans are almost so ridiculous that uh, you kind of forget about them. But they're 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 they were, you know, two species of mountain toucans are just like hopping around like, you know, miniature dinosaurs themselves uh, at close range there. They've got really good setups for them and they just come right in and it's, you know, they're absurdly gaudy things. So those were amazing. Um, But for me, the this oscillated tapaculo was a bird i'd seen once before heard many times um but um we had it beautifully um and we had a pair come in and they were practically at our feet you know like just really close i got some pretty nice images of oscillated top culo you know that it's it's a tough bird to see it's they're around they're not hard to hear um, but to get good views is a really special thing and to get photos is even more special. Um, and we, that, that was the last day of the trip. We tried at one spot where they'd had real good success for them and kind of dipped and we were like, oh man, like, you know, we've been hearing them all, you know, a couple spots earlier in the week. Uh, and we'd kind of given up hope. And then all of a sudden they, it starts calling again, uh, from really close and, before you know it, the two of them were just hopping around. And uh, that was really special. 
Um, it was really special. And yeah, we just had a great group, great group of folks. And, you know, uh, it's Columbia is always fun. There's a ton of birds and they're super eager to host birders there, uh, which is part of why Molly and I are excited coming up. We're heading back to some of the same spots I just went to in, in February. Life mm-hmm. List uh, event based in Manizales and then going to the Kali Bird Fair. Uh, so if folks want to see some of this stuff, definitely check out the Lifeless page and uh, and come come with Molly and I when we head down there in February. It should be a blast. Yeah, I think it will be. Ugh. I just think of Columbia and I just think of color and culture and just such charismatic birds. I can't wait. Yeah, exactly. It's like the people know how to party and the birds kind of follow suit. They know how yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know which came first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's gonna be great. Yeah, my my thought of like Colombian um, people in general is that they have a self assured kind of idea of who they are, and kind of that means that they're much more quickly, even in the countryside, to come up to you and say hello and and kind of become kind of friendly with you, rather than feel like oh, you know, I'm not going to talk to the tourist or bother them or whatever, or, you know, just even like you find in some other places, like people are kind of um, out there and kind of willing to sort of engage, which is really good, really different, you know, from, you know, even, gosh, even like Ecuador, I think it's really different mm-hmm. kind of aspect yeah. I've had. Love yeah. Columbia. No, it's true. But after my first time there, I felt it was like instant community. You know, one trip and I was like, I just feel like I know a ton of people here now, you know, it's still just built on it each time. Yeah. And you're heading there soon. Yeah, Molly. Even soon. Yeah, I'm headed there next month and I'll also be uh, headed to some of these spots that we'll be going to in February. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've been trying to get to Columbia for a long time, so I think it's really happening now. Yeah, and you're going to be hanging with our friend Giovanni there in Medellin. You you got yep. one of the things I loved there was the street art tour. I think I've mentioned that before on the podcast that um you know, not a birding thing at all, although a lot of the street art does feature birds. Um mm-hmm. and and checking out uh, Comuna Trece and all that is I'm sure sure on the docket for you, which should be a hell of a good time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for all of it. And uh, like you said, the <sighs> I'm just excited to see the culture that has birds so ingrained into it. I I see that. I see it in the art and um, just so much community that is just there. And I guess we'll really get a taste of that attending Columbia Bird Fair and actually being side by side with the local birding community. And I'm excited to be a part of all of that. Yeah, that's, I think, half the fun of this event. The birding, of course, will be front and center, but like right there with it is going to be uh, all the Colombians, the Colombian birders. We're going to really get to engage with them a bunch, you know, and, uh, and eat and drink and, and have a good time. So it should be, you, you mix all that together, sort of like Al's uh, birds and wine, you know, we'll probably do some birds and microbrews or something there in, in, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Manizales and, and Cali. So I just, I just hope Molly can see the uh, crescent. Faced Ampita on her trip and oh, described the beauty of the bird to you, you, George. In how <laughs> dare you, Alvaro? I swear. That's the Scoundrel. beauty of birding. <laughs> Scoundrel. My goodness. Can't get them all. <laughs> That's if we true. Did, it wouldn't be any fun. That's right. Absolutely right. Yeah. 
Well, um, <laughs> after I got back from Columbia, I did get to, uh, to work with the ABA young birder camp here in Delaware Bay for, uh, a little bit. And man, an incredible, uh, group of kids, uh, the campers, I mean, some of them are incredibly sharp. Um, all, all of them were sharp in one way or another, but I mean, the birding skills, um, of some of these folks are incredible. Uh, it was great to see Katie Warner there as well. The ABA young birder of the year, uh, for 2021, she was there and a bunch of other folks. Um, and last time we recorded, I think, or one of the last times, uh, I mentioned my disdain for tomato pie. Uh, <laughs> and, and I will say that I was taking a beating before mentioning tomato pie last time, but since then, this beating has escalated to, uh, <laughs> to a whole another degree. Um, and, and, and my friend Owen was like, we're getting you to New York and we're going to get you some proper tomato pie. Uh, and, and at some point we will do that. Um, and I'll be happy to try it again. And, and I still contend that if you put cheese on it, it'll taste better, but we'll see. Um, the other pet peeve that while I was at, uh, ABA camp Avocet, I got to try to make a little inroads on, I, I hope I did some good there, uh. The kids are great. They could hardly have used any instruction from me because uh, they were already uh, well on their way. But at one point, we were sea watching, you know, out there at Cape Henlopen in Delaware. We were sea watching. And I was like, all right, guys, now if we get on a bird here, do me a favor and do everyone a favor that you ever bird with here after. And if you see a bird and it's moving horizontally, do not say, moving left to right, or say moving right to left, merely say moving right or flying right or moving left or flying left. It's fewer words, less confusing. And you, I was like, all you campers are fast. If the first two words out of your mouth are flying left, I'm sure a bunch of people are already looking to the left, whereas you're truly trying to say the bird's flying to the right. And uh, that is one of my pet peeves. And it was funny because Glenn Davis was there as well. And, you know, at Cape May, this comes up a lot. You do a lot of sea watch and you're looking at a lot of birds in flight. And he was like, you know, if there was one thing we could try to help these campers with, it's to get out of the habit of saying flying left to right or flying right to left. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I just did that at the sea watch. I just did that like a half hour ago. I was like, I'm, you know, it's, it's a start. It's a start anyway. We're going to get there together. We're going to do it. You know? Yeah. So I was proud of that. I was proud of that moment. You're shaping I the know, next generation. <laughs> yeah. Now, if, if we could like get meteorologists to like name the wind, not from the direction it's coming from, but the direction it's going, like That's north wind, time. right? Yeah. What do you think? The wind's going yeah. to the north. No, it's coming from the north, and you have to know that. Yeah, but that's true. I got to tell you, I've just learned that over time, but it doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Yeah, I it, since I looked at it as out of the north or out of the west, then yeah. like you know, then it's it solidified for me, but up, you know, otherwise for years, I was like, Oh, right. I got a 180, 180 on that. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't think, I think that's too far gone. It's, yeah. No, it's a, it could be a, could be flying a right to left. Yeah. Why would you say bridge that? too far? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's always, it's always been a thing. Yeah. Well, listen guys, we're coming up on the hour here. Molly Brown, anything you want folks to know about that's coming up? Uh, anything beyond what we've chatted about already? 
Yeah, actually, I do have a couple things. First off, um, the co-op is running our second annual optics drive. So we're collecting used optics to go to our partners, um, which are organizations in, in other countries where optics are, one, expensive, but two, just harder and possible to find. So if you have old optics that are used but working and you would like to donate them to someone who could get a lot of use out of them, we have details on how to do that on the co-op site, um, thebirdingcoop.org. Also, we have our, our first co-op trip that's an international one that's coming up in December, and that is in Costa Rica, and it's focused on the Osa Peninsula, and we're really excited about it. We're actually going with Osa Birds, which just is a, is a conservation organization that has a really holistic approach to nest monitoring, and they actually buy some property, um, and they have a banding station. So we'll be nice. at a banding station for a lot of that, and doing a, a loop around Costa Rica and that's an eight day tour in December. So please join us for that. Yeah, that one sounds great. And like I mentioned, I got a couple of friends. Uh, I'm going to try to put point in that direction as well. Cause I would love to be making that one myself. That should be a hell of a trip. That sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah I, I can't wait. It'll be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Alvaro had a meal. Diganos. Yeah. <laughs> Next time, I'll have to tell you about my plover misidentification. Oh, Qatar and what I juicy. That. that was kind of juicy. Cool. I will also got to tell you about potential very rare bird that I photographed in South Africa, but the photos are just not good enough. What to do? Oh. <laughs> so I'll just tease you with those two. And uh, otherwise, uh, Peter Burke is leading a trip to Bolivia to the Macaw. Uh, sort of lowland areas of Bolivia mm. in November. We have two spots left. I got to, now that I'm back, finalize some of the stuff on the Bolivia tour. But maybe people are interested. You can email me, alvaro at alvarosadventures.com to, if you're interested in that trip. Over to you, George. Excellent. Nice. Good stuff. Yeah, last couple of things I'll note for folks for Hillstar Nature. Uh, is uh, a main trip, Puffins and Whales with Holly Merker and Seth Benz. That is coming up July of next year. Also, July of next year, Glacier National Park, where Molly just was with Josh Koval. Guiding for Hillstar Nature is Josh Koval, a glacier, a glacier trip uh, where we'll hit the National Park and some nearby grasslands. Highly recommended from uh, uh, with with Josh, who knows the area better than just about anybody could. So uh, definitely recommend checking those things out on hillstarnature.com site. Uh, with that, I think we got a roll. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will be back at you soon. Take care, guys. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye.